is a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast featuring glimpses of Kansas history from documents in the library and archives collections. Many of the adventurous Easterners who journeyed to Kansas Territory in the 1850s were influenced by the overly optimistic publicity of the New England Immigrant Aid Company. Ostensibly, the company was organized to send settlers to Kansas to support a free state constitution. But it was also an organization of stockholders who hoped to profit by their investments once Kansas was admitted to the Union. Reverend Samuel Adair and his wife, Florella, of Hudson, Ohio, were deeply committed abolitionists. Both graduates of Oberlin Collegiate Institute, Florella had the distinction of being one of the first women in the United States to complete a post-secondary education. Samuel also completed the seminary program at Oberlin in 1841, the year he and Florella married. In September 1854, the Adairs, with their two young children, Charles and Emma, departed for Kansas Territory to do their part to ensure that Kansas would become a free state. Samuel undertook home missionary work, which meant organizing congregational churches in this vast, untamed frontier. Unlike many others who migrated to Kansas Territory, the Adairs stayed. Listen now to excerpts from a letter written by Reverend Adair in November 1854, one month after his arrival in Kansas City. The letter is addressed to S.S. Jocelyn of the American Missionary Association. I wrote you on my arrival at this place. When I wrote, I was sick and had been for a week. I hoped, however, then to be well in a few days. I was able to be around a little for a few days until we got a house, a few things together, and got into it. But all the time, my dysentery continued. I grew weaker and weaker until at length we succeeded in checking and changing the character of the disease from dysentery to a diarrhea. In this form, it seemed stubborn for some days. About this time, my wife was taken very sick. Some of her symptoms seemed rather alarming. At this crisis, the Lord sent in a physician who had just landed from a boat. He prescribed for us and left some medicine, which has in a great measure relieved me. My wife is better, but is still unable to sit up but a little at a time. Reverend Adair continues, commenting upon the attitudes and conditions of other settlers. Brother Jocelyn, the greater portion of those who come and visit the territory are much pleased, but there are hundreds who are disappointed in return or go somewhere else. But the worst features are the vast portions of those now in the territory have as yet no shelter but tents. Timber to make cabins of in places is very scarce. Their food is of the plainest kind, and hundreds have nothing to buy anything with, having spent their all in getting here. Great multitudes find that it costs them double what they supposed it would before they started. Hence, they who expect sufficiency for themselves and families until they could raise something next year now find themselves objects of charity. Provisions are high, and many have not the means to obtain it at any price. I see not how there can help but be much suffering and sickness in the territory this winter and next spring. Our sickness had so reduced us that I have had to borrow $25 in order to get our food. I borrowed until I could have time to write to you and get a draft. I hope I shall not be disappointed in receiving a draft of $100 immediately in this time of our sickness and need. It appears Brother Jocelyn was less than prompt in sending financial aid, judging by Adair's letter of thanks to Jocelyn, dated May 3, 1855, several months after the initial request. 
By now, the family had settled in the small community of Osawatomie, Kansas Territory. Adair also mentions his wife is taking in sewing and washing, but requests that this not be made public. He must have thought this would be degrading for her. Your letter of the 13th came to hand today. Accept of our most sincere thanks for it, its kind words of advice, encouragement, and sympathy, and for the draft of $100 it contained. We feel relieved. Shall first pay what I owe, then make the remainder of the $100 last as long as possible in meeting our real wants. If God in his providence smiles, we think we can get along comfortable till next fall without help or aid from the American Missionary Association. My wife now takes in sewing and washing. We'll continue to do so if we find it necessary. Please omit this last fact if you publish anything from this letter in the paper. In the same letter, Adair describes the various types of settlers migrating to the territory and comments on their resolve or lack thereof. Emigrants still come in large numbers. Settlements are fast-faring throughout all this region. While by far the largest portion of the immigrants are from the free states, yet many are coming from the slave states. Only a few, however, will yet venture to bring their slaves, and those that do, so far as I know, have brought but one or two at the most. They manifestly feel that it is not safe. Some from the slave states are also anti-slavery. Among the eastern men, more of them than any other class for some reason, get discouraged and go back disheartened and dissatisfied. I fear too many of them have come here under the pressure of wrong motives. They either come to speculate, to stay if all things are right or easy, etc., but not to toil and to make sacrifices for the gospel and for the slaves. But do not misunderstand me. Many of our most firm, reliable, and self-sacrificing men are from the East. Men who have enlisted for life or during the war, they do not expect to turn back. This is the kind of men we want. Those that turn the back are not the kind of men we want. I would not, if I could, persuade such men to stay here. They would discourage us in the day of battle. Those who would come from more moneyed considerations, or who are fearful or faint-hearted, had better not come and would do us a favor to stay away. A long letter from Adair to Brother Jocelyn in September 1855 expressed his frustration and need for additional financial support to organize a Congregationalist church in the territory. About organizing a church, I have written you in other communications somewhat fully. Shall add but little now. In this place, there is no disposition manifested for organizing a union church. Congregationalists here are few, and yesterday we followed to the grave one more good brother. He was from Vermont, had been for a few years afflicted with palsy. The talk now is that as soon as sickness abates, we must organize and make an effort to build a meeting house. All unite in our meeting on the Sabbath at present and in our Sabbath school, and will probably do so for some time to come. In another 1855 letter addressed simply to the Friends of Christ, his cause whom it may concern, Reverend Adair comments, There are a few Congregational Brethren in Osawatomie and vicinity. We had taken some preliminary steps to organizing a church, but on account of sickness it has been deferred. We hope to organize before long. There are also a few other professing Christians here, 
some of whom will probably unite with us when we organize. There are many here who make no profession of religion, a few of whom usually attend public worship. Many more could be induced to do so if we had a convenient house in which to meet. I came here last March. Since then I have preached nearly one half of the time on Sabbath. We have met in private houses, log cabins with only one small room, and sometimes a sick room. This we find very inconvenient. We intend to build a congregational church, but are weak. Any aid by friends abroad in building a house of worship would be most thankfully received and faithfully applied. Free State sympathizers in the East were intensely curious about the unfamiliar frontier of Kansas Territory. The Free Mission Sewing Society of the First Congregational Church of South Brookfield, Massachusetts, through a letter sent by their pastor to Reverend Adair in 1856, requested a general description of the land, the obstacles faced by the settlers, their spiritual welfare, and the prevailing political climate. Adair's extensive response is colorful and evocative. Many descriptions have been given of Kansas. Explorers, tourists, and common letter writers have in great measure exhausted the theme. In my opinion, many have too highly colored the picture, while others seem not to have had eyes to see the excellencies that actually exist here. The soil throughout all the eastern part of the territory is good. Better cannot easily be found. The prairies are undulating, giving a beautiful variety from the bald mound and bluff to an almost entire level. Grass on the higher prairies last year, an unusual growth, was from three to five feet high. On the lower prairies and in ravines, it was much higher. Limestone is generally found in abundance on the edges of the bluffs. There is a tolerable supply of timber in some regions, but in the main, it is scarce. Portions of the country is tolerably well watered, but in many it will chiefly have to be obtained by digging. From 20 to 40 feet is the usual depth of wells which I have seen in the territory, and not infrequently water is found nearer the surface on the high prairies than on the low. The past winter has been one of the severest ever known in this region. The suddenness and severity of the cold at first made it very hard on man and beast. Animals, tame and wild, in some instances froze to death. A crow, a blue jay, and some other birds were found near here, frozen fast on limbs of trees. On the prairies, the snow drifted so that for some weeks our mails and nearly all traveling was stopped. Ice froze under a deep coat of snow until it was 14 inches thick. In consequence of the sickness that prevailed here last fall, Few were prepared for the winter as they had hoped to be. Hence, there was much suffering. Many have frozen hands and feet. Two men and one child are all I have heard of in the territory is freezing to death. But we bless God for the long cold winter with its storms. It was needed, after the severe sickness of the fall, to invigorate the physical system. Again, it has been God's wall of protection to us against the border ruffians. As to freedom in Kansas, the territory has been several times invaded and the rights of the citizens trampled in the dust. But determined to be one of the number to come and toil for freedom and free gospel, I may not live to see the end of the struggle, but have no doubt as to the results. 
As a field, large doors are open and faithful missionaries are much needed. Large assemblies are not easily collected. This increases the labor of the missionary. They must be visited at their houses and meetings held in their neighborhoods. Despite all the hardships and obstacles, Reverend Adair eventually succeeded in building his church. It was one of the first churches built in Kansas and was constructed of native stone that Adair and his son Charles hauled from the surrounding hillsides. It was dedicated on July 14, 1866. During the Civil War, Reverend Adair served as chaplain in the Union Army at both Fort Scott and Fort Leavenworth. Florella Adair succumbed to the rigors of pioneer living and passed away in February 1865 at the age of 48. In 1866, Reverend Adair co-founded the Osawatomie Insane Asylum, operated today as a state hospital. He lived the rest of his long life in the small cabin on the outskirts of town, which he originally purchased for his family in 1855. Reverend Samuel Adair died in December 1898 at the age of 87. This has been a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast. The documents used in this podcast are part of Territorial Kansas Online, a virtual repository of primary sources from the Bleeding Kansas era. The URL for the website is www.territorialkansasonline.org. Thank you.